Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. I don't know how often you go to the movie theater, but uh, we go every now and then. And uh, one of my favorite books has been turned into a movie. Skipping Christmas by John Grisham is one of the funniest books I've ever read. Uh, it is, I have found myself in that book often wanting to skip Christmas, especially when you grow up with your dad owning a store and all Christmas is to you is wrapping presents and selling stuff and people coming into a small drugstore to buy cheap cologne at the last minute on Christmas Eve because they haven't thought about anybody up until that point except themselves. And so I find myself identifying with Luther Crank sometimes, who is the lead man in, in Skipping Christmas. It's been made into a movie called Christmas with the Cranks. And if you remember the story, the, the story of that book and of that movie is that uh, Luther's and his wife's daughter has gone to Peru for a couple of years, and they're sad and they're emotional. But as they get to thinking about it, Luther comes up with this brilliant idea. And he says to Nora, let's just skip Christmas. And she says, well, what do you mean? And so he's got this brochure of a 10-day Caribbean cruise. No lights, no tree, no frosty on the roof, no Christmas cards. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to participate. We're taking the year off from Christmas. We're not going to do one thing this year for Christmas. We're going to the Caribbean. And so he buys time at a tanning booth, and he buys all these things to get ready and all these outfits. He starts looking like something from Miami Vice, and and he just makes all these decisions. So the Boy Scouts show up with the fir tree that he always buys every year from the Boy Scouts and says, we're not buying a tree this year. Oh, you're not buying a tree this year. The policemen show up at the house selling their calendar. It's the way they raise money and the way they help people. We're not buying a calendar this year. Oh, you're not buying a calendar this year. And the guy at the stationery store says, Mrs. Crank, I'm looking forward to you coming by and picking out your Christmas cards. And she says, we're not buying Christmas cards. And everybody in the restaurant goes, And so they've got all these things because he's figured out he spent $6,000 on Christmas the year before. And he can go on a cruise with just the two of them for less than $6,000. And they can just forget all this stuff. Now, the problem is he lives in a neighborhood where everybody decorates their homes for Christmas. And I mean, these people are in overkill. They're on amphetamines. I mean, they go light crazy. And now his house is dark. No tree, no lights, no frosty. But suddenly his daughter calls and says she's coming home with a boy she's met. There's a reversal of fortune. There's a misdirection, and now Luther and Nora are panicked. What are they going to do? Well, they're going to have Christmas. They've got to get the ham. They've got to get a tree. So he buys a tree from a guy next door and brings it out to his house to try to have a tree because there are no trees. And all of these events begin to unfold, and he's trying to put Frosty up, and he falls off the roof, and and the neighborhood gathers around that's been critical of him and standing outside his house singing and talking to him and taunting him. And Victor Frohmeyer, 
the neighbor who runs the neighborhood with all the neighbors standing around, and Luther at a deadline with his daughter flying into town says this, regardless of how you feel about Luther, and I understand how you feel about Luther right about now, we're a community, and people in a community stick together. Even if one of them has spent most of this holiday season behaving like a spoiled, selfish little baby. Folks, we're a community. And we are gathered on a celebration as we move toward Christmas to talk about what being a community means. The reason that Christmas gets pulled off at the crank house is because the neighbors pull together and make the impossible happen. They come together and do something because they're a community and because they have a greater servant and Christmas spirit than Luther and Nora had. And so I want you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. And I want you to find in the Gospel of Matthew a single mom and her two sons who wanted to have it their way. They wanted Christmas They wanted life. They wanted their experience to be on their terms. They wanted to set the agenda. They didn't care about anybody else. This may be an odd story to think about when you think about Christmas, but it really does fit with who Jesus is and with why he came. Verse 20. Then the mother of the son of of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, "'What do you wish?' And she said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they, being the sons, said to him, we are able. In other words, we're ready to be big shots. We're ready to be important. We're ready for people to look up to us. And he said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant. That's a New American Standard way of saying they got ticked off. And with the two brothers, and Jesus called them to himself, all of them, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, during his earthly ministry, Jesus gave us many reasons for his birth. He told us that he came to give us fullness of life. He told us that he was a witness to the truth. He told us that he was one with the Father. He told us that he had come to call sinners to repentance. He had told us that he came to seek and save the lost. He told us that he came to bring not peace but a sword. But in this passage, the key is he has come to serve and to give. Jesus said, if you want to know what I'm about... I'm about serving and giving. If you want to know what most exemplifies the heart of God, it is serving 
and giving. Jesus said, I'm about serving, not being served. I'm about giving, not getting. And when you give that message in the culture of the 21st century, it smacks against everything that we're sold to think. We are sold to think about everybody else less than us. We are the most important. What we do, what we want, what we get is the most important. And this mother has come and she says, basically, I would like for my two boys to be the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense in your kingdom. Because when there's a press conference, I want my two boys to be the ones that are always before the camera. And the ten got indignant. They got ticked off. Not because they were more spiritual than the two. They got ticked off because they didn't think about it first. They thought Jesus may have given those opportunities. And they got ticked off because they wanted to be number one. So this mother comes and Jesus says, all right, I'm going to have to teach you something about sacrifice and about self-denial. So the first thing I want us to look at is an expression of self-centeredness. Now, you have to back up a little bit from Matthew 20 because this whole subject of who's going to be first has come up before. The Pharisees were self-centered. And so in Matthew chapter 19, let me just give you a summary. In Matthew chapter 19, and you read the Gospels, Jesus is clear about this self-centered mentality. He says to them, marriage requires a commitment. There's no quick divorce. He says to them that you are to plow the ground and not look back. You're to be faithful to the task that you have been given. He says to the Pharisees that sacrifice is not an option. And so in Matthew 19, he's dealing with the Pharisees. In Matthew 20, he's dealing with his own disciples. And he's dealing with people that have the same mindset that you find in American culture today. Get all you can, can all you get, sit on the rest. Have it your way. You deserve a break today. We deserve to be number one. God wants you to be happy. Let the last man standing win. Don't ever have a deep conviction. Always be flexible. Go with what works best for you. Never involve yourself in anything that is costly or requires you to be committed. That's the message of our culture. To shade around the edges, to compromise as much as possible, to do as little as you can and be a member of any organization or to be a member of a church and get to heaven. Just take the low road. And that's why when you find a leader, a leader stands out because everybody else is trying to find out how to take the low road. And so when you see somebody that's willing to stand up and say, this is what I believe and this is what I'm committed to, they, they seem like an oxymoron to, to a society that says nobody should think that way. They're, they're a contradiction to our society. The dumbing down of America has made us so dumb that the only thing we think about is that we're the only thing that's important. And that's not the message of the gospel. That's not the message of Jesus. Jesus thinking and Jesus living are diametrically opposed to the messages you're getting on television and in radio and in music today. Diametrically opposed. That's why you cannot listen and watch all that stuff 30, 40, 50 hours a week in your spare time, read your Bible for five minutes and have a worldview that is like God. 
because the worldview you've got has been dominated and put into your mind by people who are telling you the exact opposite of what the simple carpenter from Nazareth has told you. And so you have to get your mind back in tune with what's really important because nothing that this world is selling is going with you to heaven. The only thing you're going to take to heaven with you is the Word of God in your mind and the souls of men that you've invested in. That's all that you're going to take. Your houses, your land, your cars, your boats, none of that's going to heaven with you. The, the, the job, the business, the corporation, the company, it's not going. The only thing that will go is your Bible and the people that you take with you that you've invested in eternal things. And so I want to talk about three examples here, all in Matthew 19 and in Matthew 20. They are examples of self-centeredness. One is an individual, the other is a group, and the third one is a family. And we've already read about the family, but I want to talk about the individual. And in Matthew chapter 19, we have the story of the rich young ruler. Now, we don't know that he's young. We've always called him young, but there's nothing in the Bible that indicates that he's young, except that he ran. Well, there are a lot of older people that run, so we we'll just assume that he's just a rich ruler. Now, I want to read this out of a different translation, and I want you to catch the gist of what Jesus is saying. You can follow in whatever you've got. Matthew 19 and verse 17, if you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you to do. The man asked, what in particular? And Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as you do yourself. And the young man said, I've done all that. What's left? Jesus said, if you want to give it all you've got, go sell your possessions, give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven. Then come to follow me. Verse 22. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he could not bear to let go. As he watched him go, Jesus told his disciples, Do you have any idea how difficult it is for a rich to enter the kingdom? Let me tell you, it's easier to gallop a camel through a needle's eye than for the rich to enter God's kingdom. And the disciples were staggered and said, then who has any chance at all? And Jesus looked hard at them and said, no chance at all if you think you can pull it off yourself. Every chance in the world if you trust God to do it. Then Peter chimed in, we left everything and followed you. What do we get out of it? Boy, Peter speaks to the average Baptist in America today. Lord, I've left everything. I got up this morning and came to church. What am I going to get out of it? Lord, I even come to prayer meeting once a year. What am I going to get out of it? I'm even going to come twice tonight because I like Christmas music. So I'm going to come this morning and tonight. I've left everything to follow you. You've left nothing. You're just doing your job. That's your job as a Christian to be where people assemble together. When the church assembles, you're, that's just your job. You hadn't left anything. That's not a sacrifice. I mean, people do that for the Knights of Columbus and the Lions Club and the Rotary Club. They do more than most Christians do. And we've not left everything to follow. But Peter said, oh, I've left everything. Now notice, Peter had not left everything because if you read on down the line and you see after Jesus has died, Peter says, I'm going back to fishing. How's he going to go back to fishing? I thought he sold everything. He didn't have any boats. He didn't have any nets. He's left it all. No, he didn't. 
he had him a little security blanket over here, just in case this Jesus deal didn't work out. I can always go back to fishing. And the truth of the matter is, I'm speaking to a room full of people that there are many people in this room that you're hedging your bets on how far you're going to go with Jesus. And if it doesn't work out, and if it's not what you want it to be, and like like you envision it being, and if Jesus demands too much, you just go back to your fishing. You just go back to your boats, your little security net that you've got back there. And so Peter says, we've left it all, and Jesus replied, you have followed me in the recreation of the world. When the Son of Man will rule gloriously, you who have followed me will also rule, starting with the twelve tribes of Israel. And not only you, now he's speaking to us, but anyone who sacrifices home, family, feels whatever because of me will get it back a hundred times over, not to mention the considerable bonus of eternal life. This is the great reversal. Many of the first ending up last and the last first. The reversal of self-centeredness. Why? Because Jesus did not come to be served. He came to serve. Jesus did not come to see what he could get from us. He came to give himself for us. That's the individual example. There's a parable of the workers in the vineyard in Matthew 20, beginning in verse 11. And let me summarize it for you, but you can look at it. Matthew 20, beginning in verse 11. At the end of the day, the owner of the vineyard paid the laborers who had all come at different times. And some of them thought that they had not been paid fairly. Some of them thought that they deserved more than others. Now, you see, here's a problem. Anytime I think I deserve something more than somebody else, I'm not dead to myself. Anytime I think, well, why did they get that and I didn't? I'm not dead to myself. I'm thinking only about myself. Anytime it's more important to me what you do for me than what I do for you, I'm self-centered. And they came and said, it's not fair. You didn't pay me as much. You didn't pay me enough. And Jesus says, hey, that's what you agreed to work for. It's what you agreed to work for. There's a union negotiation going on at Disney World right now, and they finally, after three votes, have voted in the contract because, you know, my daughter was in a meeting with some of them one day, and she said, hey, we agreed to work for this. There are thousands of people who will be glad to take our jobs if we don't want them. Hello? You know, but what we do is we got organizations and unions and everything else in America, and our number one goal is what are you going to do for me? There's no loyalty from the company or the employees anymore. Why? Because everybody is self-centered. We are a society eaten up with self-centered people that are only trying to figure out what are my perks, what am I going to get? Now, if you don't believe it, look at professional sports. Somebody signed out of college will get multi-millions of dollars who has never proven that he can do in professional sports what he did in college. Never proven it. I'm going to go for the money. And then they get you know, all these cars and rings and earrings and nose rings and eyebrow rings and, and they get all kind of stuff, diamonds everywhere. You, you know, I, I was always just so impressed, you know, Latrell Sprewell being the model for everybody. You know, he's making $15 million a year, and and $16 million a year, and he got fined a few years ago for a million dollars for punching his coach. I call that kick him out and never let him play again, except at his goal in his backyard. 
And this is what he said to a reporter. That's a tough find. You know, it's tough to feed a family on $15 million a year. I don't know how you define idiot, but his picture ought to be in the dictionary. It's tough to feed a family on $15 million a year. I know, Latrell. We all identify with you. Give me a break. You know, we just need so much. We need so much. Listen. What we need is a mentality that says, I'm content in whatever state I'm in. Because God knows my needs more than I know my needs. And he knows my future. And he knows what I'll need in the future. And I need to trust him and not be so self-centered that, well, this quarterback signed for this much money, then I want to be... I want to get that much money. This wide receiver sign. And that's our culture. And guess what? It filters down. All the way down. And so what happens is, even in little flag football leagues, moms and dads say, if you don't let my son start at quarterback, we're just going to take our little boy and we're going to go somewhere else. Play our little game. Well, knock yourself out. Teach your kid how to be a jerk from an early age. (laughs) So that when he's in high school, he'll be a supersized jerk. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that our society? My boy better play. Hey, just be glad your boy's healthy enough to be on the team. There's some people that have kids that are not healthy enough to be on the team. Just be glad they're there. Just be glad they're having the experience. Don't get caught up in what I deserve. But what can I give? What can I contribute? The mother of James and John in Matthew 20. Look out for one. And these get ticked off, and the, it, but here's the danger, and the danger is clear. So here's where I want you to pick up in the word then. Then Jesus said to them, then Jesus said to her, when is then? That's crucial in this passage. Because what Jesus has been doing in the context of this passage, he's been talking about going to the cross and dying. He has set his face toward the cross. He has set his face toward Jerusalem. He's talking about dying. And in the context of Jesus saying he was going to die, look at verse 18. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. And the Bible says, uh, Jesus, Jesus. Uh, could my two sons be big shots in your kingdom? Now, can you imagine the Son of God talking about being scourged and beaten and crucified, and Mama, the only thing she's got in mind is, can my boys be big shots? How dumb can you be? How self-centered can you be? That the only thing on her mind, ears deaf, eyes blind, she cannot see that Jesus is saying, if you're going with me, it's going to cost you something. This is not about who gets to sit in certain positions. This is not about your name on a resume. This is not about something to make you feel good about yourself. I'm going to die. Are you going to go with me? So there's self-centeredness. We are so out of balance We have to push so hard as the church. Because I want to tell you something, folks. Most Christians are skipping Christmas. They're not not putting up trees. They're skipping the real Christmas. 
which is Christ, the real reason for it. We got Frosty, and we got the snowman, and we got the angels, and we got the tree, and we got the lights and the bulbs, and we got everything in the world. We got the Rudolph and the red-nosed reindeer, and we got, we got all this stuff. And somewhere, in the, and we never sit down and say, but this is the real deal. This is what it's about. This stuff's just stuff. This is what the real thing is about. This is why we celebrate this season. By the way, I love the letter in the Albany Herald from the guy who said, since the government doesn't want to recognize Christmas, I would like my mail delivered on Christmas Day. I, I would like the post office to be open on Christmas Day. I'd like the mail delivered. I'd like everybody in their offices, if you're going to deny Christmas, if you're going to deny a Christian holiday, then everybody that's not a Christian, work! Be available for me. Since we're so eaten up with ourselves, work so we can celebrate. You shouldn't take off a holiday if you don't believe in the real holiday. You got no reason to take it off. Just get ready and go to work. Do everything we want you to do. I expect Senate to be in session on Christmas Day. Now you tell, let those boys strutting around in those $1,000 suits explain that to their wives. <laughs> Well, honey, we're not Christians, and they said we're going to have to meet and have a session of Congress. Hello. Self-centeredness. Secondly, the expression of self-sacrifice, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. First of all, he's the Son of Man. Now, there are two passages there that are key to understanding who the Son of Man is. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14 says the Son of Man will come in the clouds. That's referring to the second coming. And Psalm chapter 8 and verse 4 says the Son of Man, that refers to the frailty of man in light of the greatness of creation. Now, here's the frailty of man, Son of Man, the frailty of man in light of creation. And here's Daniel 7, the greatness of the Son of Man coming in the clouds. They sound like contradictory phrases, but they're not. Because in Daniel, you find out who he is. In Psalm 8, you find out what his attitude is. You say, he's not coming as an arrogant tyrant. Daniel and Psalms and the Gospels tell us that Jesus came as a humble servant. No arrogance about him. He laid aside his glory, not his deity, but his glory and became a simple carpenter's son. All man, all God, to show us what man's supposed to be like and how man is supposed to think. And so he's a son of man. Then he's a servant. Oh, I tell you, we are a society caught up in our rights. We talk about human rights and civil rights and right of privacy and personal rights. And You ever ask the question, does God have any rights? Yes, he does. He has the right to be worshipped. He has the right to be honored. He has the right to be served. But you know, when Jesus came, he laid aside those things. And he became a servant and a giver. Now, of all people to demand their rights, Jesus could have demanded his rights. He didn't have to come as a baby. He could have set foot and said, I'm in charge, bow now. He's delayed that giving us time to understand what it means to worship Him. 
giving us time to come to him as our personal Savior, giving us time to have a life change and an attitude change and a mindset change because he is a servant. He made a divine decision. And then the third one is a ransom. He said, and a ransom for many. With a ransom, you buy hostages out of a situation. You set slaves free. You set captives free. It is a word related to redemption, and it means to free or to release. Jesus came to set us free, and why are we here? Because the world is full of people who are slaves to sin, and we are called to give a message that says you don't have to be in bondage to sin. You don't have to be in bondage to death. You can be set free to live an abundant life through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus came as a son of man, he came as a servant, and he came as a ransom. All examples to us of how we are supposed to think and how we are supposed to live. And then finally, there's his expectations for his servants. His expectations for his servants, verse 26 and 27. In a pagan world of the first century and the 21st century, humility was not considered a virtue. The Greeks thought you were weak if you were humble. But Jesus elevates humility, and he's asking his disciples to live on another level. And one of the reasons why Christianity and the church is so impotent today is because we have culturized Christianity to make it acceptable rather than to make it above every other kind of life and every other way of thinking. Because our God does not tell us to strap bombs to our bodies and blow ourselves up so that we can get to heaven. Our God tells us to kneel down and wash somebody's feet. Our God does not tell us to be radical and to try to overthrow governments. Our God tells us to submit to those who are in authority and to pray for those in authority. Our God does not tell us to be mean-spirited. Our God tells us to turn the other cheek. Our God does not tell us to look out for ourselves. Our God tells us to die to ourselves so that we can find life and have it more abundantly. You see, he, he has given us a higher plane of living. And his servants are disciples not to see what we can get because we've already got it all. When you got Jesus and when you got the Spirit inside of you and when you got the promise of eternal life, you got everything you can get that's worth anything. But what can we can give how we can give ourselves away. And deep down in our hearts, folks, down somewhere inside of us, we're not really sure because we've heard so much of the way the world thinks. We are not really sure that the meek are going to inherit the earth. We are not really sure that Jesus was telling us the absolute undefiled truth when he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. We're not really sure when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. We're not really sure it works when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. We're not really sure that it works when he says, if you want to be great, be a servant. Because we bought the lie of looking out for number one. And God wants us to look out for others and to care about others. It is not the American way of thinking but we need to be more Christian and less American about our thinking. Now, I'm not saying to not be patriotic, and you know that. But I'm saying the number one thing for us is to think like Christians and then to thank God for the privilege of being Americans 
and living in this country. But that's not our ultimate goal. One day, America will be no more, but the kingdom of our God is going to be the kingdom that lasts for all eternity. We are on the winning side. And no matter what happens in culture and society, we know that we have a promised home in heaven with Jesus. And the only flag there is going to be the flag of our Lord and Savior. And so we have to think above where we are to otherworldly kind of thinking, which is hard for us to do. I understand that's hard for us to do. But it is imperative for us to do it if we're going to have a kingdom mentality and an other-centered mindset. Now let me ask you a question. In the last year, how effectively have you done that? How effectively have you served? How effectively have you given of yourself and of your substance, of your time? How effectively have you been other-centered? And so here's some things that I want you to write down. First of all, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. You weren't born to be served. You were born to serve. I wasn't born to be served. I was born to serve. That's my role. Jesus said it, and that's who we're supposed to be. So if I'm going to be like Jesus in this Christmas season and in next year, then I have to decide I didn't come to be served, but to serve. In other words, it's not about how much are people going to do for me when I come to church. It's what can I do for other people? How can I invest in the lives of other people to make their lives more fulfilling? By the way, if you want to read an interesting book, Pat Williams has written a book by How to Be Like Rich DeVos. Rich DeVos is the founder of Amway. He's the owner of the Orlando Magic. He did 400 interviews with people who knew Rich DeVos, and this is what they said about Rich DeVos. said, when you leave a conversation with Rich DeVos, he never talks about himself. All he ever does is ask you about you. He wants to know about you. He wants to know about your family. He wants to know about your kids. He wants to know how your life is going. He said Rich DeVos could have everybody say, well, let's talk about Rich DeVos. But what he does is he tries to figure out ways to get you to talk about you. Why? You probably can't do anything for him. And that includes the people that clean his house and the people that work at the lowest level on his payroll. His number one thing is, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And that's why people are loyal to him. Because he's given himself to them. So I didn't come to serve. To be served, I came to serve. You see, your salvation is God's business. But his service is your business. Saving you is the business of God. Serving God is your business. Secondly, I'm not here to get but to give. I'm not here to get, but to give. Quite honestly, folks, I, I'm happy if I don't get anything, but I love to give things. I love to give things because I love to see the expressions on people's faces. I, I love to invest in other people. I love to give to other people. I love to give to the church. I love to invest in kingdom things because when I do that, God takes note of it, and I don't have to worry if anybody else knows it. And a lot of what I do and what you should do is under the table. It's, it's not public to be seen of men. You know, we got a lot of people upset because 
Target stores will not let Salvation Army put their bucket out there, and I think that's rightfully so. I think they should let them put the bucket. They're worried about other religions doing that. Hey, other religions, if, we're th- if we think we're in competition with religions that don't even stack up to us, we're in trouble anyway. Well, I mean, we're just in trouble anyway. If we think our message is so weak that we're worried about somebody's message coming alongside, I used to tell high school principals, let the Buddhists come in. Let the Moonies come in. Let the Muslims come in. Listen, I know what the deal is. I'm not scared of them. They're not even on the same playing field with me. Just let me come in. I'll, I'll, I'll take the risk of them being in the schools. Just give me a chance to be there. Don't kick me out because you're scared of what somebody will think. Well, you know, but you see some people, I've watched it, see some people come by the Salvation Army, and, and you know, some people just discreetly go over and just put a little money in the bucket. And then you always see that one. He's usually a guy with a big belly and a big belt, short tie. And he walks over and he starts flipping through his money. He's got this wad in his pocket tied around with a rubber band. He starts flipping through and there's 10s and 20s and 50s and 5s. And he goes over and he pulls one out and he goes, got one dollar. Starts stretching it like that, walks over and goes, hum. He wants everybody to see him putting a buck in. Boy, I bet you're not going to be able to eat this week, pal. I I know it's going to be tough for you. You know, Jesus said something about giving to be seen of men, blowing your trumpet. Are you giving, though? Sometimes I'd just rather take a low motive than no motive. I mean, are, are you giving? Are you investing? Are you doing something for others? Are you making something possible that one person couldn't make possible on their own, but... Multiple people could make it happen? Are you living with that kind of mindset? Number three, it's not about me. It's not about me. If we can ever jump that hurdle, we'll be a long way down the road to being more like Jesus. It's not about me. Number four, and I think this is a big one, I want to leave a legacy that lasts beyond my life. I want to leave a legacy that lasts beyond my life. Folks, if the love of God makes you a servant, then the God of love will pay your wages. Listen to me. If the love of God makes you a servant, then the God of love will pay your wages. You will not go lacking or begging bread because your father knows your needs. Phillips Brooks said, It is almost as presumptuous to think you can do nothing as to think you can do everything. You know, God changed the world from a little town called Bethlehem. Let's say your life is a candle. A candle that is lit on the day that you were born and a candle that goes out on the day you die. Now, we had excitement at our house this week. We were getting ready for a cast party from the cast from the play, and, and we had had a bunch of candles. We lit them. Both of us were back in the back, and, and uh, 
family in our church got there a little bit early, and when they got there, uh, the mom said, uh, I don't think that's where their fireplace is. And so they came busting through the door and said, there's a fire. And so I came around the corner, and, and the arrangement on the dining room table was just in flames. I mean, the flames were about this high. And so get a cup of water, that did a lot of good. So I just picked it up, you know, and I just ran to the sink with it. We had smoke all over the house. You know, one little candle started a big fire. Could have been a disastrous fire. But let's say your life is a candle. The day you're born, they light it. You don't know how long your candle's going to burn, but you know that you've got a candle. And the day you die, it's going to go out. Is your candle burning for others, or are you burning up for yourself? Are you seeing that you are a candle along with other candles that are trying to spread light and love into this world? Or is your candle just burning just to make sure that you have your little light, and the only place it's going to shine is on you? Where's your candle burning? How's it burning? Is it burning brightly or just barely flickering? Are you making a difference? Is your light impacting people who are in darkness? Is the glow of your light spreading out on other people to lift their spirits and to raise them up to be better than they would be on their own? How's your candle? You see, all of us have a life And how we use that life is significant because if we don't use it well, we burn it up for nothing. And it becomes wood and hay and stubble that's burned up when God judges. This past week, my daughter took a friend of hers to a Christmas processional at Epcot. And Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus in the movie The Passion, was doing the narration that night. And... uh, The interesting thing is, you know, Southern Baptists have been some of the stupidest people in the world in how to deal with issues. You know, we pronounce a boycott that we never do. You know, I wrote a letter when they did that boycott. I said, you know, if you'd have asked 10 million Southern Baptists to write a letter and say this is not a family kind of atmosphere when you do these kind of days and we would prefer that you not do them, I want to tell you 10 10 million personal letters, not form letters, not petitions, People don't read form letters. They don't read petitions. Ten million personal letters would have changed Michael Eisner's mind. A boycott just made him bow up. Anybody with any sense knows that. And we got millions of Southern Baptists that had not got any more sense than to know that. You're not going to change the world by cursing the darkness, but you're going to change it by trying to influence in the right ways. Because the guy directly under Michael Eisner is a faithful member of First Baptist Church Orlando, Florida. And so when you curse Michael Eisner, you're also cursing the guy that's giving sacrificially and investing in kingdom business in First Baptist Church, Orlando, Florida. And the Christians, thousands of Christians that work for the Walt Disney Corporation. But they do this Christmas processional, and it is, they do a little bit of secular Christmas music, but it is unapologetically Christian. Derek Johnson is the director of it. They have a 120-piece orchestra. They bring in youth choirs, different youth choir every night from about the middle of November to after uh, the end of the year. And then they bring in a guest narrator. They have Voices of Liberty. They have all their major singers that Disney has on Walt Disney World property. They come in, and and they're part of the choir, and then they have these youth choirs, and they have a guest narrator. Well, this past week, Jim Caviezel was a guest narrator. He came out to read the Christmas story. He started reading it in Aramaic. 
people started crying. And then he read the Christmas story in English, and then he told the story about one solitary life, that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the rulers that have ever ruled have not affected the life of man on earth like this one solitary life. And then in a secular environment, Jim Caviezel said, I want to thank the Walt Disney World for allowing us to unapologetically share the true message of Christmas, that Jesus Christ not only was born, but he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay this price for the sin of man, and he was raised from the dead, and that those who believe in him and trust in him can find eternal life in Jesus Christ. And he got a standing ovation. Now, folks, I want to tell you, his candle was burning bright that night. And it wasn't about ho, 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 and it wasn't about presence under a tree. It was about a present that was nailed to a tree. God's gift to us so that we could have eternal life, so that his light could shine forth in our lives and we could make a difference. That's the reason he came. And that's the reason we're here. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gett. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.